You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. U.S. Congressman Juan Siscomani, who braved a blizzard to get here. I did. I did. F- fought it off from the car to the door. All 13 steps. Seven. You've had se- six or seven votes so far. So far, yes. And give us give, give, give us a summary of some votes of Juan Siscomani this January. I will. So some some uh, those votes are on bills. Some are on rules. We've had different votes on that. Obviously, the, the first one had to be setting up the rules, which was the whole point of contentions, uh, contention uh, in, in the whole process of what the rules were going to look like. I think the rules at the end of the day look uh, make us a better Congress. The rules like uh, no more proxy voting. That's something that people were just you know being able to vote for. From wherever, and now you have to show up to work. We'll never forget Greg Stanton on a markup bill in the, on the boat on Lake Pleasant. There were many examples <laughs> that that really talk about your your point of, of not our proudest day in Congress that the, that allowed for that. But Nancy Pelosi did that. Um, the other one is having at least three days to review bills and frightening. It used to it used to be that it was it was put on the calendar and you had maybe an hour or two to look at it before you had a vote on it. Uh, on the spending side of oh, things, oh, here's my silly question: Did anyone vote against the three day uh, rule? Well, the the Democrats voted against the the, <laughs> the rules package. Yeah, yeah. And uh, imagine, well, I mean, imagine being on the campaign trail on re-election. Said, you know, I didn't think it was appropriate to have at least seventy two hours. Seventy two hours. I'm telling you, uh, the the other one that I think uh, it gave, would have given us a lot of peace of mind throughout the process is this single issue germane on spending. You know, just putting one issue in there and, right. and not be allowed to have all this other stuff on there. So these are the kind of things that that we voted on in the rules package that I think ended up in a in a very good place. And and again, I, I don't want to make it seem like like uh, the the one part of the caucus was against all this in the discussions that that those weren't an issue. Those were agreed on way before. There were more technical things that was that were the holdup on the uh, the motion to vacate on the speaker and, and other things that were a lot more technical that that there was some contentious. Uh, behavior around but anyway uh those are the the part of the rules and then the first one was to take the funding away from the eighty-seven thousand irs agents that were hired under the uh, or were were allocated for on the funding under the uh the inflation reduction act that was a price tag of almost 80 billion dollars that all this adds to the current financial situation that we have and, and you know just revoking the funding from that was a big step that a lot of us ran on that on saying we need to pull back that funding on day one and we did we did do that on, do that on, on day one so th- those are just examples of some of the I like how the passed. experts out there have said they can't there's not even enough people that have the expertise to hire 87,000 right agents. right and and wh- have you seen the math scores out there kids <laughs> <laughs> what, what what are they going to focus on too and who are they're going to focus on and that was that was part of it we don't need small business uh, owners right now to be worrying about an additional eighty-seven thousand um irs officers out there you know coming after you especially uh, with revenues as high as they've been it's like we did, we need more revenues sure i mean i'm telling you that it was wrong timing and i can't think of a right time for that another one that you know going back to something that you just mentioned on on china uh it's uh there's a select committee on strategic competition between the united states and the chinese communist party and i think this is an important one uh because we we need to look at what the what the overall 
danger that China and the Communist Party in China poses to the United States, both in national security, but are on are in the economy as well. You look at even the the uh, the border situation with fentanyl. This is where a lot of the materials for the fentanyl production are coming from. So you look at border security, you look at national security, you look at health, you look at, at economy. These are all things where where the Chinese Communist Party pose a real danger for Americans. Absolutely, and that's that 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 passed. That on party yeah. line vote. Well, th- this is a committee that is now established. <laughs> oh, I, I, do, I do think there was a there was a, a a few overlapping votes there. I can't remember exactly, okay. but these are these are some of the the things that we went to work on immediately on on day one on this. And uh, now, now I'm going back later tonight, and uh, we'll be, go back to work this week. Tell me about debt limit and government close downs and all this good stuff. So this is another conversation that is not new to us, unfortunately. Uh, uh, really, just bad. Fiscal behavior has led to this situation, things like the passing of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and, and other just irresponsible, fiscally fiscally irresponsible behavior from from our government on this, uh, especially in the last two years. The immense amount of COVID relief money out there, of uh, paying people to not go to work, all these things have added to where, where we are today. Um, we have to... Uh, we can't default on our debt. We we have to be responsible on this. We have to be prudent in our spending, and we have to uh, have some behavioral changes on this. I'll tell you one thing that I'm hearing from from people, neighbors, uh, people approach me at Costco, grocery store, wherever we're at, uh, of people worried about their Social Security and Medicare. And when when they hear some talk about, well, we need to you know adapt some spending and and really look at where where money's going, that's not an area that that I that. At least that I've heard of, and that I'm not looking at and touching at all. This is something that is protected. It's been a promise to our seniors, and it'll be there for them. And I can tell that I'm going to be in uh, just an avid fighter for it. One day we have to figure it out. Remember, we, ha- we hang out with Schweikert every Thursday, and we just looked at this last set of charts. Schweikert is, gotta, is gotta a numbers guru, uh, and that's what he's known as in Congress as well. Have you ever seen his presentations yeah, on, on C-SPAN as well? He p- comes in with the big charts. It, it's not pretty. It doesn't look pretty for uh, for the the uh, just the, the fiscal situation of of the country, and and these are the decisions that we're going to be having. This is going to be the focus here in the in the coming weeks and and months. So you had a, your your first kind of time back after getting there. And I, you know, you did the good thing, which you you went out and actually visited human beings in the district, <laughs> which was great. Where did you go? Well, first of all, I love being around people, so it's it's natural for me. I think I I, I really enjoy it. And we went to uh, we were in Cochise County, met with a group of economic um, um, drivers there, uh, business owners, and 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 they meet every month for the lunch, and it happened to be at that time, so I was able to speak there. I also um, went over to Casa Grande, met with leadership there as well. It talked about transportation, the I-10, these kind of things that we were discussing. And then we also made some uh, made some uh, uh, meetings here in Pima County. We met with our uh, new Citizen Advisory Council. This is a council that you heard about, and maybe others have as well. It's got Republicans, Democrats, Independents on there that uh, are focused on results for our district. I want people to see that council and see themselves reflected in there from all five counties, all three political leanings that I just mentioned, and 20 men, 20 women. Uh, it's a, a council with nonprofits, job creators, um, education, uh, defense, water, you name it. 
And to this council, it's what I'm going to be uh, with this council is that I'm going to be meeting with, uh, getting advice from on things that are moving through, depending on where they're, you know, where they're coming from. And people like, um, like Lee Lambert are on there from Pima Community College or uh, Bobby Robbins um, uh, from the U of A. We've got different people that are community leaders that have uh, stepped me, up. Give me, and, me and feel better. Us. Give me a job creator. Well, we have like Josh, Josh Jacobson is on there. Well, we love our Josh. Josh is uh, not only on the small business front, but also on the um, on worrying about homelessness and and all that's going on. We have uh, David Goldstein from um, from uh, uh, Diamond Ventures on there as well. So we've got several people that own their businesses. We, you know, you mentioned um, Felipe and tourism. So he's more on the government side, but uh, nevertheless promotes tourism and for international visitors uh, as well. So we we have we have uh, uh, people that that are understand what it means to create a job and to sign the, the back of a paycheck. So what are you hearing from this this brain trust in your first meeting? What if, what's one of what's one of the top two or three? issues that popped up in your first meeting water water is something that everyone is thinking about whether you're a small business owner or you are more in the economic development for the region this is something that came up of course anything that has to do with defense and military this is something that our region depends on both for uh, the missions that are flown out of here and also in Fort Huachuca but also on the job creator part of it and the economic development piece and the impact that that has a border is something that that continue to come up sheriff mark daniels is on the council as one of the co-chairs so of course this is an issue that he brought up other ranchers as well from uh Kogis county are on there john ladd is his name he's uh a number one issue that's that's of course the border it's it's uh on his property literally so this is something that uh the the, the wall that was erected was on his property he's been there for over 100 years so he's got a really interesting perspective of what what happens there and and also the value of the of the legal back and forth and and how the illegal back and forth uh, really hurts us so he's bringing that perspective in there yeah what's going on at the border is just it's just disgusting it's just disgusting it's there's no there's no rhyme or reason it's just blow it open it it, it there's no strategy behind that and i've and i've been saying from the beginning on the campaign trail and now that we're here it one of the things that congress brings to the table is a direct oversight on the federal agencies and alejandro mayorkas has gone without any accountability for over two years now no one has brought him in for questions him and really any other uh secretary in in the biden administration but he needs to be questioned on this on what's happening why aren't we uh so did, did andy put his articles of impeachment in on there on there are there are more there that's in motion and and Mallorca's needs to be brought in for all the right for all the right questions that we've been asking for this whole time and, and he hasn't answered he hasn't had to and now he will have to and and i'm on record saying that my opinion is he needs to go that he's failed utterly at this and there's there's no coming back from it and we need someone that we can actually uh, have some level of confidence that they will do this not only am i not confident in his ability to actually do something uh he has stalled on promises that he made uh, to rooms like in Yuma where he said he was going to finish the the, the the gaps in, that we have along the wall and, and he made all these promises years ago Chris and he never even came back never moved the needle on this nothing now they're starting to do something but it's embarrassing keep up the good work thank you sir Joe just handed me our packet it's amazingly thick it's about a half a pound of paper here oh this is a doozy this is a good one
I did a public records request a couple weeks ago. Okay. And lo and behold, to my surprise. And what to my wondering eyes should appear? What should appear is an email from Adelita Grajalva to Sharon Bronson dated November 10th. 2022. And what happened was, um, uh, basically, there was Josh. Josh, Josh Jacobson. Jacobson was going to do a report on the Tucson Crime Free situation. Yeah, right? Tucson Crime Free Coalition. Yes. And Grahalva absolutely had a meltdown in this email. <laughs> I, I, I could, it, it came through in a public records request, so what can I say? Do I have a copy of this in the packet? I think you. Can we have a dramatic reading? It should reading? be after that executive yes. session piece. And oh, I got, you, it, I got it right You now. got it? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> Grahava questioned the upcoming presentation that Josh was going to be due, and she stated, quote, are we providing a bully pulpit and grandstanding opportunity to a small group in our community? Okay, number one, Josh, I want you to remember this quote when you stand before that board. I believe he might be on tomorrow to give an update and report. There, there is going to be an item on a uh, county administrator update. So what I want every taxpayer to realize... Anybody listening in now, anybody watching the board meeting tomorrow, anybody listening to the podcast, Grahalva definitely did not want the public speaking up, having the opportunity to speak about the Tucson Crime Free Coalition and the report. You know, when, when a supervisor says, and she was stating this to Bronson in this email, that, you know, we're just going to give these taxpayers a bully pulpit. Are you kidding me? So it gets better. She goes, um, we go, the only attachment to this addendum by uh, District 4 was a three-page narrative, narrative, three narrative by Josh Jacobson that states we need to put, quote, an end to panhandling, urban camping, etc., unquote. There's also been an email and social media pushed out by the Tucson Crime Free Coalition encouraging people to come to the meeting. We're trying to conduct like a... Like they never do that? Come <laughs> on! Hold, hold you, keep your powder dry. We, we're trying to conduct a public board meeting and not a town hall. Yes. I'm very concerned that this will become a circus, unquote. That's from... We're Adelita Grahalva. Who is who now? Who knows a circus or two. Well, well who's, who's actually a grand, who's, uh, she's from a family of circus performers, okay? <laughs> All right, let's go. There's, there's who moonlights as a ringleader <laughs> for, you know, at the school board end. So, remember. I'm trying to figure out if she's the trapeze artist or the. <laughs> so, at the meeting that on the agenda item that said that they were going to make Mexican-American studies an elective. You say it or I will. All right. An elective. Not getting rid of it. Just making it elective like Asian-American studies and African-American studies. Right? Because the Asians and the African-Americans were were second class to the uh, Mexican-American. They were only an, an elective where they wanted this to replace your American history. Right? So all and, and Miguel Cuevas, who was a board member yes. at the time, yes. wrote a board an op-ed that said, "This is why I'm voting to make it an elective." And they were harassed. Remember, the the, the Grahalvites were harassing him at his mother's house. Oh, okay, don't. you want a circus, Adelita? Talk about a harassing Cuevas at his mom's house. Okay, and his mom. You always worried about Nana. You we went after his Nana for God's sake, you psychos. All right. So then they had Ward Churchill, I think, was in the audience. Remember the guy who said Little Eichmann's for everyone who died in 9-11? He's in there, right? And then 
basically she's in the executive meeting and people who are in that meeting one of them that's no longer with us was talking about uh on the board but uh that she basically was coordinating on her phone to have the kids chain themselves to death oh yeah I, that i remember right? that so I the remember. lady legal interruption of a duly elected uh, meeting group of uh, yeah correct so she and she's sitting there clapping hands with Judy Burns cheering them on and this is the lady saying I'm worried that the Tucson Crime Free Coalition petitioning their government through a public meeting right is quote a circus that is the ultimate in projection right there that is like the, if there's a picture of that email next to the word projection in the dictionary psycho Psycho alert on Adelita Gra Oh, thank God she's your new chair of the board. Good grief. <laughs> yes, and that's why I'm sad. When I read this email, it came through in a slew of documents that were provided, and I was looking at this, and I just went, you have got to be kidding me. Anybody who is a supervisor who uses this type of language to describe their constituents, the Pima County taxpayer, we pay, we pay for her to sit on that board and to sit there and say that we are nothing but creating a bully pulpit or grandstanding when we voice our opinions. Simply asking that the government do something about rampant crime. Yes. yes. Good grief. That is a sick puppy. Yes. She is she is more into protecting her girl Rahina, not taking care even caring about crime than she is about your public right to speak about something that's obvious. Steve Moore, a friend of the show, has been on the show a lot. Just uh, did a uh, op-ed in Town Hall and of course Steve's an economist nerd kind of guy. And um, so he uh, and the crew put together the analysis of the Tump, Trump tax cuts. They only called him Tump in the Arizona Daily Star in a headline. but oh, That's true. Um, Steve Moore, we now have incontrovertible evidence that after five years since they took event effect, the Trump tax cuts of 17 raised revenues over this time period. We, we'll keep having this discussion, right? It's always about a spending problem, right? Remember that loser from the Biden uh, economic team when talking about uh, debt limits and all this stuff? And he's like, oh, we just we have to raise revenue is what he said. That was his answer to what's going on in the world, which, of course, we knew was just horrible. Um, just just pathetic, actually. The, the, uh, the latest Congressional Budget Office report released earlier this month calculated the, fer the federal government collected... Hold on, I got my button for this one. Sorry. $4.9 trillion of federal revenue. Four, almost five trillion. So when you see these Democrats running around going, we got to raise taxes on the rich. <laughs> That's how we're going to get out of this one. <laughs> You've lost your freaking minds. Now, just want to tell you what. So for so remember, we had this whole discussion. If you unleash the American economy. You get out of the way, you lower taxes on job creators, the people who are working, they're innovating, right? What will happen is there'll be more economic uh, benefit across the board. That It truly is the rising tide that raises all boats, right? A lot of people like to say it, it, doesn't, it rarely happens, okay? Because the collective will to make that happen doesn't happen all the time. And, of course, when they be, they're more prosperous, you collect more taxes because there's more money to be taxed. Okay, without changing rates. This is a, this is this is the guy. Uh, originally, one of the guys who brought this up was uh, Republican President John F. Kennedy. Oh, I'm sorry, he was a Democrat. That's about, I apologize. Uh, anyway, 
at 4.9 trill. Just to let everyone know, federal revenues before that, the year and uh, the year before 17, since 17 was 3.4 trill. So with the tax cuts and what's going on with all the pandemic crap and all that jazz going on out there. So in other words, revenues went up 40% in five years. The evidence through the first three years of the tax cuts find that the share of taxes paid by the wealthiest 1% also rolled, rose as well. So much for this being a tax giveaway for the rich. Because you're going to keep hearing that from these people. They're, they're saying it every other day. Of course, that's what they... Yeah. All that's right. It. I compared these numbers with the estimates of what they said the Trump tax cuts were expected to, quote, cost. Instead of the expected $1 trillion revenue loss... The tax receipts over this period were precisely what they would have been if we hadn't, if we didn't cut taxes at all. And remember, that estimate in seventeen never estimated a two-year hit to the economy from lockdowns, which depleted the treasury. In other words, there was a giant Laffer curve effect from the tax cut, Trump tax cuts. We got higher growth and higher tax payments. None of this seems to matter to the White House or congressional Democrats. They want to repeal a tax cut that worked. It would be like firing a coach that wins every game. That's a good analogy. One of the most important successful features of the tax plan was reducing the tax rate on American businesses from 35% to 25% while closing special interest loopholes. This brought businesses and jobs back to the shores and helped fuel an economic boom. An obvious question is, why are we running a $1.4 trillion deficit if we have an all-time high in tax pay- payments? Well, because federal spending under Biden and the Democrats have exploded more than $6 trillion. Washington doesn't have a revenue problem. It's got a runaway spending problem. Ted Maxwell, Southern Arizona Leadership. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Chris. How you doing? Not too bad. Good. It was a, it was a full first hour. Oh, I had to clear tabs. Yep. It was all... You, you set that one up yesterday, I think, in the morning saying... <laughs> it's exactly correct. I knew I wasn't going to get it with all the guests yesterday. So, uh, But let's talk about something uh, I talked about a little bit today. Juan brought it up, uh, Siskamani, uh, our new congressperson, is, and you're on the state transportation board. What, what What's the story behind the, inter- the horrible two-lane I-10 between Phoenix and Casa Grande? What's going on? <clears throat> Well, as as you know, last year the state legislature approved four hundred million dollars to start building out, and the the Gila River Indian community is on board. They want the expansion as well to three lanes, and so that had you know some people said that had already been always been part of the impediment, but they're they're ready to go, and it's it's all been worked out. And um, he put forth four hundred million dollars, which we then as the the a, I say we a dot tried to leverage that into a, a mega grant, one of the grants uh, that's always existed. There was just additional funding through the IJA or the, the bipartisan infrastructure law. Everybody honestly believed it probably was a slam dunk. We're bringing four hundred million dollars to a project, so having the, the local government put forward over 50% of the uh, total cost, figured we needed about another $350 million to complete three lanes in its entirety connecting Phoenix and Tucson. Okay. Um, you know, and there are some that will tell you by the time we finish those three lanes, we need four. You know, I think infrastructure with the amount of money it costs to invest in infrastructure now is always kind of lagging the the total need sure. a little bit, especially for growing communities like Casa Grande and, and Pinal and 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 Tucson, hopefully, in the near future when as we try to expand some more manufacturing. That, we'll come back to that. That, one. Was, Don't, that was cute. 
Not that trying. To, cute, don't, just... don't want you to go there yet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the, the fact of the matter is that the last board meeting, um, I asked the question: Have we done the debrief yet? We haven't gotten the full explanation, and we will get an explanation from the federal government of why we did not receive that three hundred fifty million dollars. I mean, we put so much forward. Um, I think I, I personally believe that part of it's a, a lack of understanding of what this um, administration's transportation. Uh, Secretary is is looking for. Uh, Secretary Buttigieg has been pretty clear. He's they're all supportive of multimodal transportation's different, you know, forms and having uh, the money they're investing support all all the different forms. Well, highways a hardcore old school road transportation of goods and services uh, and people. Um, it, there's there's not a lot of multimodal you can add to that. You don't want to add a bike lane out on the on on Interstate 10. Oh, want, I'm sure there's a few who'd love it. You know, you, you don't you don't need, and there's ways you can do that and and justify as part of the build out walking past. But from from you know uh, South Maricopa County to Tucson is not the place you need that. You know there are other more I'll, I'll tell you more interesting rides. Somebody who wants to bike from Tucson to Phoenix can take. It's going to be more enjoyable, safer, and it should be it'd probably be more quick and efficient. So the bottom line is we did not get that mega grant. Now, Senator Shope, um, whose new district represents part of uh, Tucson as well, has already put forward a bill that's asking for $350 million. We think the project will take about $750 million. And the most important reason to do it in one shot is we'll probably take four years off the total time of the project and probably cut the project by a good 33 to 50%. Because if you do it in two separate projects, you have all the administrative costs, you've got all the bids, you've got all the rest of the issues, and it's going to take longer. And so, tell, tell me about 17 between Anthem and Cordes Junction, right? Because they're doing that also, and that's way more adventurous of a three-lane build-out than what we're doing. Did they get that money suit before the Biden administration took over? Is that why? Because trust me, there's no multimodal. No, <laughs> no, no, no. They're, or is and, that all state and, money? And, and normally on all those highway, on federal highways, federal uh, state funds, and we still believe. Um, if we get the 300, if we get the 350 million in the state, what it will allow us to do is to start the process of bidding the job. We believe federal dollars will come into play, either through a grant or through funding. What, what folks sometimes uh, don't realize is the major- majority of the dollars that are spent on federal, as it should be, federal highways as well as state state routes and state highways, quite a bit come from the federal government. A lot of that funding comes from the federal government. Uh, there is almost always a local match of some sort. Um, and I believe eventually there will be more money going into that project, but we need to get it started. Now for the I-17, that was a lot of that was state funded. And okay. then the feds came in and said, this is a great idea. And they, they bring their match and they, and they play in it as well. Um, but it became a priority under the Ducey administration to get that, that I-17 from Phoenix to, to Flagstaff, that area, which when it shuts down, it's shut down. There's there's no alternative. Yeah, so, there's no frontage. There's no there's nothing. Nothing. Nothing on that road. We've so. all been stuck behind some horrible accident there. For it's, especially folks who frequent Flagstaff and have maybe have a have, have a kid up at school there. It's you, it's definitely an impact on that. Um, th- have any of our uh, federal, um, f- especially people who are uh, on the same team as the Biden administration, any of our federal elected uh, leaders, are they adv- publicly advocating for? The match that you've seen? Well, publicly advocating uh, for I-10 has been pretty consistent across all the communities. Uh, now, where some of our local electeds have been effective, and uh, this Mayor Romero's already brought in one uh, of the early, early grants under the IAJA, and that was for the bridge, the bridge over from 22nd, connecting communities. Um, and 
I do believe that her understanding, you'll hear her talk a lot about the need for showing progress on, you know, green transportation, showing progress on that. And a lot of that is being done to put Tucson in a better position for the current administration's uh, priorities and that their priorities lead to the grants and leads to the other funding. But I was we saying can, about this I-10 thing, which is so important to our so many communities and the bigger communities in the state and more people being affected. Any of our federal... Ha- they have. There's been letters from um, the, all, almost, I believe, all the local um, mayors of all the towns sent some letters like in supporting I-10. people or U.S. senators? Oh, a- a- absolutely. They, they've been looking at specific projects, particularly that I-10 road was significant. That, and that's why the debrief, and this is the, the you know retired military coming out at me, the debrief will be the most important thing. Why was it not successful? Was it a, a, a situation where we were so confident because we were bringing $400 million to the table, we didn't advocate to the level we need to? The lesson learned is you, you can never assume anything when you're asking the federal government for support. Good morning and welcome to Yuma Mayor Doug Nichols. Doug, what's up? Oh, not much. Just, you know, the usual stuff here along the border. Uh, How you doing, Chris? Very well, my friend. Uh, so I saw, uh, so uh, Jonathan Lyons, who we both know, of course, was uh, on national uh, national TV saying that, uh, I think he said the word was possibly that you're being, your nonprofits and your, your infrastructure there are being overrun by what's coming over the border. So what's the, uh, what's the state of the union in Yuma in relation to the border right now? Well, I think what uh, Supervisor Lyons was really referring to is more of the, the nonprofit and the, uh, the hospital system. Yep. Uh, the city itself is not uh, in that state. As a matter of fact, in the last three weeks, we've had some of the lowest numbers crossing the border that we've had in over a year. Um, but the the situation at the hospital, which we have one um, full hospital here, um, they've spent over $20 million in six months taking care um, of migrants as they come through with their medical needs uh, without being reimbursed by the federal government. And it just eats up the resources of our hospital at a time of year when we already have an extra 100,000 people in our community for the winter season. That's true. So a friend of mine who's lived in Yuma, her mom uh, literally had to get flown out to Vegas for a medical thing because there was no room at the inn at the Yuma Regional Medical Center. And she kind of thinks that maybe because of this situation you're talking about, one of your citizens had to go to another state to get medical stuff done. Well, I I guess that's possible. Uh, I know in the maternity ward, there was a period of time when it was pretty full and even scheduled uh, C-sections and deliveries were had to be pushed off uh, because of the the volume coming through at, at one point. I don't believe that's the, the case today, but um, in, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, that was the situation we were dealing with. So that wouldn't be unsurprising. So what is, uh, so of course, so what what has been your interaction? We've changed, the, the, the governor's now new, of course, in Arizona. We've changed some some people in relation to Congress and what's going on, maybe some of the same faces. What's been the help... Any interaction from the federal? What's your interaction with the federal government in helping the situation out that you're talking about? Well, uh, besides the local federal uh, employees at Border Patrol, which we have always had a great relationship with, um, I am in discussions with uh, FEMA and uh, with the White House on on different things that are advocating for that might not fit in the uh, the regular equation of things. Um, you know, like for instance, they want to say. The attitude is that they want to be able to help the cities and communities deal with this issue, whereas uh, I push back and say, you know, actually, this is a federal issue. 
where the cities and the communities might be able to assist the federal government in addressing it, but the federal government needs to own this issue. And that philosophy shift is critical in understanding um, how resources flow and, and who's responsible for bringing them. So we've seen the videos of people walking across open sections of the border. I know you said the numbers went down recently, but are those still open, those open parts of the border still easily accessed by folks? Uh, they are. Um, when the containers were removed, uh, there was a section we call the Morales Dam section that was the most heavily traveled prior to the containers being in place. Um, border, uh, not Border Patrol, but the uh, federal government is putting in a, a more permanent solution there, but it's not in place. As well as there's just other sections of the border that uh, you just can't close because of the way the geography works and and uh, you know canals and such. So um, there's still people amassing and coming across in those areas, and the numbers are on their way back up. I think it's pretty historical that during the holiday season you see a dip in numbers. Um, I think with some of the things President Biden did do with the Nicaraguans, the Haitians, and the Cubans, um, I think it's had some impact. I just think it needs to be more of that. The uh, so the other Doug, as we call him, Ducey, uh, he put he put those shipping containers there, right? And then the federal government yeah. said basically made made them go away. Is that what is that what happened? Right. They uh, and it, by the way, it's good to know that he's the other Doug. Absolutely, other you're, Doug. The, you're the primary Doug. <laughs> <laughs> he's secondary. Appreciate Doug. that. Um, yeah. So what happened was the federal government issued a trespass order uh, to uh, Governor Ducey and the state of Arizona and in resolving that trespass order, and I don't understand all the the rationale behind it, but in resolving it, uh, he agreed to have those removed uh, right towards the end of the year. So that was what he uh, had agreed to with the federal government to resolve that trespass issue. I love that the federal government is more worried about Ducey trespassing by blocking the border than the other people actually trespassing the other way. It's kind of ironic the, the and sad. The 310,000 that, that trespassed last year weren't a problem. Correct. You are correct. <laughs> um, so talk, talk about the state of Yuma right now. Talk, what, what's going on? Give me, give me a little overview. Give me a, a mini, you know, you're at the Yuma Chamber of Commerce doing your state of the town address. What's, what, 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 mm-hmm. what's, what's the state of the town of Yuma right now? Because I, I spend more time than the average bear. Like, as I like to say, all these other people are going to San Diego. I actually go to Yuma and hang with friends. So what's the state of the town? great. Well, you know, it's uh, right now we're in a a pretty good mode. It's our winter season. So the harvest is full in effect. So all the leafy greens and lettuce that you eat this time of year come through Yuma. Um, We've got um, our economies on the uptick. um, Our, and you caught me off guard a little bit. I'm still preparing my state of the city. Oh, sorry. I thought you gave it already. um, I apologize. No, no, that's coming up next month. If you'd like to come, I'll be there. It's really all about, um, yeah, our, our revenues are, are keeping pace with historical uh, projections. Uh, we've got some good investments and some announcements we're coming up with this year as far as some new businesses and industries coming forward. Um, we just sat down the new council and all indications except for the border situation, uh, seem to be on the uptick, which frankly is one of my frustrations is there's so many great things happening in our community, but the only thing people know across the nation is this border situation that's not being taken care of. Um, and it's just a, it's a disservice to our community and disservice actually to our state to think that that's the only thing happening in Yuma. 
My last question for you is, of course, we know the number one, when we talk about the number one issue for everyone is always going to be water, right? You're mm-hmm. a huge agricultural area. Talk about the uh, the role that Yuma and agriculture will play in the discussions coming up and the use of water as we move through the next five or ten years. Because I know there's been some discussions of possibly uh, maybe the state buying land off of farmers. Where, 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 are, we, where are we at in all of that? Well, you know, right now the only real um, move forward that I'm aware of is the desal plant they're putting in Rocky Point to service Maricopa County CAP. Um, but as far as Yuma, we're at the table for for everything. Um, as you mentioned, you know, agriculture is our community. It's 70 percent of our economy, and uh, even if you just took a couple percentages off of that. It, it's dramatic in our uh, the repercussions that that would happen, and it's not just about making the farmers whole. So you can you can supplement whatever the farmers were going to earn, but what about the workers? There's fifty thousand people that depend upon the ag community for their livelihood. Sure. Well, you're going to cut them all checks too. I mean, how do you how do you offset the true impact of following very very productive farmland that feeds not just Arizona? But the whole nation, actually the whole whole continent. So, at this point, um, we're just trying to help find other solutions, whether it's desal, um, whether it's different groundwater sources. Um, we definitely want to be part of the solution, but we don't want to be the whole solution. The um, the desal plant is that in, in Rocky Point? Is that actually close to an actual go? Um, I believe the Arizona Water Commission that was established last year right. approved it. Um, it is a private company out of Israel that um, will do the investment. Okay. And I don't have all the details on it, but there there was an approval as far as concept to move forward with that. The uh, Again, I, I always remember, I don't know if you remember a guy named uh, State Senator Al Melvin. You remember Al? From Matusan, uh, not just just by name. I don't remember. So when he when him. he ran for uh, legislature in '08, his two big things he wanted the state of Arizona to do was uh, one more nuclear power plant for growth coming up, and a desal plant in in Rocky Point. That was that was 14 years ago. So it's finally getting there. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you look at a map, a desal plant just south of Yuma would make a whole lot more sense. Um, it cut off about 60 to 80 miles of pumping. But that's true. Wherever they wherever they want to put uh, their billions of dollars, I guess that's up to them. Amen. All right. Well, Doug, thanks for the update as always. And again, I love I love coming to your uh, your town. It's my favorite mix of you know families, farmers, and military folk. It's it's a great mix of humans. So keep up the good work. Very good. Hit me up when you're in when you're in town next. Yes, sir. All right, Mayor. Have a good day. Thank you. That's you too. Mayor Bye. Doug Nichols from the great city of Yuma, Arizona. Ayla, welcome to Wake Up Tucson. How are you doing? I am good. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. Ayla, what is your cool-sounding title over at Families Empowered? Well, yes, it sounds very cool, but I am the marketing director. Oh, that's a good one. See, as long as you didn't say senior, we always make fun of people who are senior fellows or things, because there's no junior fellows, we've noticed. So that's what I like. Also, why would I admit to being a senior? I'm very young and youthful. Amen, Uh, sister. Amen. Uh, what uh, what, What is Families Empowered? So Families Empowered is a nonprofit organization. In short, we work for families. We help families find schools that are going to work for their kids. So talk talk about the, the origin story of this uh, in relation to how long you've been around, why did it come together? 
So we've actually been around for over a decade. We were founded in Houston, Texas. That's where our headquarters are. We came to Arizona just this past year. Um, you know, it actually all started a couple of years ago. We came out, talked to some families, found out, hey, they do need some help. And so we are here for the very first year in Tucson um, hosting an event. And what we do is we connect schools to families and families to schools because it can be really complicated. It can be really difficult to find all of the options that are out there, even if you know they exist. It can be really confusing to figure out how to even access them. And what we do is we provide one-on-one personalized service totally for free for anyone that needs it to help them access those options that they do have. So when we talk about, so my, my big thing, Arizona is one of the states, uh, excuse me, the country's leaders in educational freedom, okay? Between charter schools, ESAs, uh, of course, uh, uh, tuition support organizations like our friends here, Institute of Better Education, so let's talk about uh, one of my one of my biggest concerns, and I just said this at a conference with the Heritage Foundation about educational freedom, is there's too many parents who are absolutely ignorant of all the options they have. And that's why I feel like you guys moving into Arizona is probably a good thing. Is, is, are, are you part of the answer to help these parents? These, they're ignorant because they just don't know any better. Is that kind of part of what you guys are trying to do here? Right. We're just trying to help people understand what all is out there. You know, it's really hard to know what you don't know. And if you don't even know it's an option, it's not an option for you. And there are all kinds of families from all different walks of life that, you know, might need a different option for their kids. Every kid's different. And the only people we believe that are the right people to make that choice for their kid are their families. They know their kid better than we'll ever know their kid, even if we sit there and we talk to them for hours, which we do. And so, you know, if you just don't know what's there, it's really hard to access any of those choices because you're limited. Other than talking to a jerk on a radio show like me, uh, what's the advertising uh, marketing plan here? You're the marketing person. You're the right person to talk to. Because I always feel like I see organizations that want to support these efforts, but at the same time, I'm never, I never see a great marketing attack to inform those, those parents who, as you say, don't know what they don't know. What's the plan? Right. Here? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So we are big on social. We are on social all the time. We've got a lot of marketing out there on social. Um, we're going to events. In addition to hosting our own event here at Trail Dust Town, we will be at the Tucson Festival of Books. So you can catch us there, um, come up to the table, get some help, um, get some answers. And then we also have a variety of other marketing, digital, print, all of that kind of fun stuff to try and get the word out to parents on our uh, you know, information and the way that you can get in touch and contact us and chat with us to get that one-on-one help because it's not just available at the events. You can give us a call at any time. And that's kind of what makes Families Empowered and our services different is you can give us a call and you're going to get a real person and they're going to help you five days a week <laughs> from, you know, nine to five all day long, usually a little bit later. Uh, and it's available in Spanish and English. And so anybody can call in at any time at 520-900-0224. So even if you can't make it to our event, you can give us a call and that's the word we're trying to get out. Because we're shameless pluggers on this show, you really should be looking hard at the, like, the, the people who listen to this show are the ones who are thinking differently about education and about you really want to start looking at some of the right, more conservative radio because they're going to show up for you. The social thing's cute, but there's a lot of grand- grandmas who want to get their kids uh, out of their crappy school. Just 
that's my that's my two cents worth before I let you go today. Yes. Yeah. We, you know, all families, anybody that needs the help, we're, we want to talk to them. So I'm excited to get a hold of them. You're one of the, you're one of those cool young, uh, cool people that you think everyone's on social media. <laughs> we do a lot of print. Print is not dead. Trust me. Absolutely. So we'll continue this conversation. But again, I think it's a great idea. I, I've been waiting for some organization to step into the gap, as we like to say, of informing parents of all those options in one of the most educational free states in America, which is Arizona. So, well, Ayla, we'll we'll continue the conversation. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Awesome. Good talking to you. Parker Jackson from uh, what's one of the coolest names at, uh, we got great names. Think about it. I got Parker Jackson, Austin Van de Hayden, and Tim Sandifer. It sounds like a, a detective show. Parker Jackson, welcome aboard. Morning, Chris. Good to be with you. What do you do over at Goldwater? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a staff attorney, and so I work on uh, litigating uh, your, and protecting your constitutional rights every day. Nice. Are, are, are you on the, uh, are you on the, uh, on the, uh, the Phoenix Zone case, or is that a different lawyer? <laughs> uh, you'd have to talk to my friend, well, our friend, uh, Timmy Sandifer, about Sandifer. that one. But, <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, that's definitely some interesting work. Uh, let's talk about uh, one of uh, America's worst school districts. They are. I mean, just to let you know, the uh, the the kids that can that have any sort of meeting reading level at TUSD is sixteen percent of the entire school population, K through twelve. So, well, unfortunately, that issue, like the issue we're going to talk about, is is probably not unique to Tucson, but certainly something that needs improved. So uh, the, let's talk about the case you're working on. We have a bunch of L, uh, LS, LSD, I just said, TUSD teachers. Uh, those are Freudian slip. TUSD teachers that listen to this show who have talked to us in the past about this union situation. Talk about the situation between TUSD's unions and the teachers and some of them that don't may not want to be part of the union. Yeah, so the Tucson School District, like any other school district or uh, most governmental entities, they have collective bargaining agreements with a handful of unions. Um, there's Here they have uh, five different collective bargaining agreements between four different unions. One of the unions has two. And all of those agreements contain uh, restrictions in there um, about when and how you can opt out or drop out of the union and stop paying union dues. So. Um, the problem, it kind of reminds me of that Eagles song, Hotel California. You can join the union any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> and uh, we've seen across the country unions, especially since the Supreme Court issued uh, their opinion in a case called Janus in 2018, saying that unions can't force members to join as a condition of their employment. Um, since then, we've seen unions try other ways of getting around that and the Constitution and say, well, if we can't force members to join the union in the first place, we'll just make it really difficult or next to impossible to leave the union once we do convince them to join. And so um, we think that's a problem. And so we, we sent them a letter asking them to revise their collective bargaining agreements and bring them into compliance with federal and state law. So I assume this got on your guys' radar through an employee that was like saying, what the hell? Is that how it got on your guys' radar? So 
we've been aware of this issue at least since Janice, like we mentioned, and so we submitted public records requests to the district back in the fall asking to see these agreements. So they actually post links to their agreements online, but you can't access them unless you're a TUSD employee. And so I went online to look for these agreements and couldn't access them. And so we submitted a records request and looked at them and realized that not only were they doing this, but um, one of the contracts in particular was really egregious. So the contract with AFSCME, the uh, American Federation of State County Municipal Employees, and that's the local uh, unit 449, that contract has a couple different uh, major constitutional problems with it. Um, the first is that uh, it contains a very, very narrow opt-out window. So union members can only leave that union if they ask to do so between May 1st and May 15th each year, <laughs> which, as you might recognize, is at the end of the school year when there's a billion other things going on. Um, and so if they miss that window, then they continue deducting union dues out of their paychecks every two weeks or every month or whenever they're paid for the entire next school year. And the other part of that contract that's a problem is not only do they have to ask the district to stop uh, the union dues deduction, they have to go, they have to take a, a pre-written uh, form to a union representative, get the union rep to sign off on them leaving the union and stop pay, to stop paying the union. And then the union has to forward that information to the school district uh, in order for the district to stop the dues deduction. And so you can see just how many layers of technicalities and hoops they've made these employees have to jump through in order to leave the union. What would be what a would possible be excuse possible? that they would think is a good excuse that you would basically um, say that we're going to restrict leaving the union in such a way? Why would, what would they, what, if I, what, what would be a possible answer why they think that's a great idea that you only have a 14 day window to get out of the union and it's during finals and all of this and graduations and stuff? What, 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 what do you think they would tell us? Well, aside from the obvious financial incentive and I'll leave aside the political implications for these unions that fund the progressive political machine, but aside from that, what the unions typically will say in these situations is, well, we have when we go into collective bargaining negotiations with the school district, we need to have a set number, a fixed number um, of employees that we can go to the school district and say, well, this is how many people we're representing. And so they claim that it strengthens their um, bargaining and negotiating position when they're entering these agreements in the first place. But even if that's true, that's no excuse for violating the First Amendment and public employees' constitutional rights. I can't think of another any other thing you could join that, uh, other than the military, that you might have a uh, a limited window for you to quit. <laughs> right, but even with the military, I mean, people know that going in. Part of the issue here is a lot of these employees join the union, and they have no idea what that they're um, going to be locked into this um, arrangement. And so we think it's predatory, we think it's unfair, and it's certainly unconstitutional. Any uh, any response yet from TUSD, even a we, we got your letter uh, acknowledgement? We have not heard of anything as far as I'm aware uh, last time I checked. So, um, But we're hopeful that they'll look at this issue and um, realize that they've kind of pushed the envelope here and, and go back and fix these arrangements without any sort of you know legal action.
All right, Parker, keep us updated on what's going on and if there's any other fun cases you're working to uh, try to make things better for the average taxpayer and human in uh, Arizona, we're here. Let us know. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I would just invite your listeners to check out our website. And if they've run into this issue um, in either wanting to leave a union and not being able to or not knowing how, they can go to goldwaterinstitute.org and they can click on submit a case and let us know. Perfect. All right, Parker, thanks for the good work. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Later, amigo. Parker Jackson, Goldwater Institute. Go to goldwaterinstitute.org to find out more. And of course, if you like what they do, which they do uh, do a lot of good work, uh, there's, a, there's a big red button on the top right that says donate. Throw them 50 to 100 bucks. It'll be worth it. So a lot of info to get out with the sports director here. So the Bengals are going to travel to play the Chiefs uh, on the, on Sunday and the Chiefs were 27-20 over the Jags and I assume Jags played mm-hmm. be- Jags played better than you thought and of course Mahomes got hurt so that that slowed down the Chiefs offense or am I missing something? That, that's 100%. I mean the Jags kept it, it close the whole game. They were never down by more than 10 but they never also threatened to overtake the Chiefs either. The Chiefs either led or tied for this entire game. And so the the one concern, as you mentioned, is Patrick Mahomes got hurt. He suffered a high ankle sprain in the first half. And he did manage to come back and play in the second half. But the thing that is noticeable is that in that second half, so Patrick Mahomes led the league this entire season in passes outside the pocket. It's how he generates a ton of explosive plays for for the Chiefs allows Kelsey to make plays. In the second half of that Jaguars game, he didn't have a single throw outside the pocket. So the, the Chiefs are trying to protect him. He's not running. Uh, with the ball, and while Mahomes is one of the best pure passers of the football in the NFL, his running game adds an extra dimension that just makes planning for him so much more difficult. So when they're playing the Bengals, if the Bengals don't have to plan for Mahomes as a runner, or at least his ability to scramble and create extra time, that's going to make their defensive game planning so much easier. And it's going to limit the Chiefs' offense a little bit. Granted, the Chiefs still have plenty of weapons. They have Travis Kelsey. They have decent receivers in Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but Mahomes, if he's limited, that just takes another element away from their offense. And Mahomes is good enough that he could absolutely still win this game with, while not being able to run. If he just has to stand in the pocket the entire time, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But it will make life a little bit easier for this Bengals defense if they don't have to worry about that. And so this is, this is a tough game to pick. This is a tough game to pick because, on the one hand, I love Mahomes and the Chiefs and their offense, but... I worry about the injury. And then for the Bengals, you just have to wonder if their offensive line can hold up again for for another game when they're still dealing with so many injuries. But I'm going with the Bengals in this game. Me too. I don't feel good about it at all, but I'm taking the Bengals. <laughs> all right, we've got two minutes. Give me a preview of how you think Niners-Eagles are going to go on Sunday. Yeah, so these are two of the most complete rosters in the entire league. The Niners, as we know, they're starting Brock Purdy, but they've just surrounded him with massive offensive talent. Uh, you have Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. It, it's an embarrassment of riches. We love to see it for the 49ers. It's made life so easy for Purdy that they can even be in the position with a rookie quarterback and then for the Eagles they get to host the game at home and they are similarly built to the, to the 49ers in that they just took a quarterback Jalen Hurts who's a second round quarterback who was good but has improved every single year and they've made his life so easy with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard and then they have a dynamic running game as well that really utilizes Hurts ability as a runner while not push, push it, putting it all on his shoulders the way like the Bills have with Josh Allen. So this is going to be a fun game to watch because these defenses are also very good. One matchup I'll point out for Eagles 49ers is on the offensive line. The Eagles have Lane Johnson at tackle. He's one of the best offensive tackles in the game. 
but he is dealing with a groin injury that he's at, he aggravated against the Giants, and he's going to be going up against Nick Bosa, who's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's one of the best pass rushers in the game. So if Johnson hobbles and struggles, that can make life difficult for Jalen Hurts at quarterback. But if Johnson plays well and limits Nick Bosa, Hurts is going to have time. He's going to be able to make plays against this 49ers defense. And so, you know, if you like, if you want to watch the offensive line for a little bit in this game, check that out. But overall, when these two teams are similarly talented, when there isn't a lot of separation between them, I go, I lean towards a team that is a hosting this game and has a quarterback that I trust more. I love what Purdy's done this season. He's an awesome story, but I trust Jalen Hurts more at quarterback. Love what he did all season. And so I think the edge of being in Philadelphia with a more experienced quarterback, I give it to Philly. I'm taking the Eagles. So we think uh, Eagles by a touchdown somewhere in there. Uh, I'll, I'll give them a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, they're only favored by three points, I think, but I'll, I'll take the touchdown. Awesome. All right. So you just heard it here from Larson. We're going to have uh, Eagles Bengals in uh, Phoenix, Arizona in a couple of weeks. So sounds- that's going to be a great game if we get it. All right, amigo. Great work as always, sir. Thanks, Chris. Great talking to you. Have a good week. Same here, my friend. Have a good day. U.S. Congressman David Schweigert. David? You get, to, you get to do all the fun, cool stuff. You are the voice. I think we have this similarly with me in Tucson. We are the voices in the wilderness, right? What is your confidence level that your brothers and sisters in both houses will finally get it about the idea of all of these must-pays of Social Security, Medicare, interest on debt, Obamacare, and how it's crushing everything how are they? What's your what's your confidence level that they're going to willingly come along and change their minds? Right? Is it, are we to a point in time where America is just it's going to have to crash? Is going to be amazing amounts of pain until someone thinks about changing the path? See, I, look, I'm 60 years old with a six month old. I'm pathologically optimistic. I'm with you. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. But as I was just sounding pissed off before, I just came from a meeting of a bunch of folks that tell you how conservative they are, and I got functioning yelled at for telling them the truth about the numbers. David, you know, if we, we can't, the public isn't ready to hear that. We're going to have to do it slowly and incrementally over the next 25 years. Well, <laughs> screw you. At the current rate, in 25 years, every dime of revenues in the government goes to cover just interest. You know, I mean, it, it, but it doesn't have to be the way, and it doesn't have to be cuts. Um, so no, no, so no, many- no one, no one ever argues. I've never seen anyone, well, on the Republican side, argue with your facts of, in relation to no, how these no, numbers no, tumble. No, it, it, the argument I get now is the public isn't ready to hear it, and um, uh, you actually uh, in, in some of your Tucson area, particularly my district in North Central Phoenix, I have a lot of people may not like me. But they also know I'm not talking down to them. You're incredibly well-educated populations. You may not like it, but the math is solid. So what's the updated percentage of federal uh, spending that is Medicare, Social Security, interest on debt, and Obamacare? Um, This year, about 20% of all spending will be borrowed. Um, Within six years, seven years, 25% of all spending will be borrowed. And almost all that growth. Now, I mean, there's the growth. So you and I can hold discretionary flat. That's military. That's everything discretionary. But, and I'm going to one of my charts here. In 22, all discretionary, if you remove defense, so it's just called non-defense discretionary, was 16% of the spending. Defense was 13% of spending. (laughs) 
Everything else, what you're mandatory, the Social Security, the Medicare's, the VA, you know, these things. Now, a bunch of the mandatory, you know, maybe shouldn't be called mandatory anymore, was 71% of the spending. Over just the next few years, that mandatory moves to three quarters and keeps going. Um, and because those are driven by demographics. <sighs> well, David, keep keep being that voice in the wilderness. It ended up well for St. John the Baptist. And, <laughs> yeah, thank, and, thank you for that. In the long run, it did. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right, say hi to your lovely family for me. All right, you all take care. Later, Bye buddy. Now. Coming back, uh, hold, it's, it's one of the applause. Hold on. No, no, wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Our good friend CJ Ham's back on the air. Look good, at you. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. I see you guys dressed up like some prepping pastry waiters for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> With our farm-to-table <laughs> steel-cut oats for $11? Come on, bros. Then, then you got your Speedway and Swan gloves on. Yeah! He's back. He's spicier, <laughs> spicier than ever. Uh, well, welcome back, that. amigo. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. I took away from my busy schedule of <laughs> getting up on the couch and getting down on the couch. <laughs> So, uh, for people who... Uh, CJ, of course, is one of the partners of uh, Mulligan Sports Bar. And Saguaro Corners. Yes, sir. And uh, I, I, you know, Matt was looking up your website. I, I, I love that Mulligan's has a drone shot. Yeah. If, there, if there's a restaurant that doesn't need a drone shot, <laughs> it's Mulligan's. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Here's our sign from 1972. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually have a new sign now, too. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it looks like the one on the... on the. Uh, you know, they did the, a really good job with this. I like being extra because I don't want to be lumped in with all the other, uh, you know, bar grills around town. <laughs> even though we're similar, we have a, a, a way better uh, whiskey selection, a whole, um, you know, uh, menus from scratch, everything. So we like to be a little extra. So give us the drone shot. <laughs> And Reuben, uh, Reuben egg rolls, which is the food's magical. the food's great. I, I that's because he's here. They do amazing work on the food, right? It doesn't look like much from the inside or outside, but what you're in there is you got a great selection if you're on your liquor side. But at the same time, yeah. your food is is I think you're making the best Brussels sprouts I've eaten in Pima County. Yeah, so I mean, you know, most bar grills you can go in there and get a Jello shot, but you can come get a. A glass of pappy at ours, you know what I mean? So we're trying to class the joint up. A bit. That's my favorite one. That's beautiful. The, the, the drone shot that pulls away and like, here's, and so, here's, here's our AC units. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad the homeless camp that uh, hangs out right in that area was missing that day. They're out of the Circle K <laughs> because it made for a beautiful shot. Well done, perfect time. Yeah, I didn't want any of that blue tarp in the in the shot. Is what I was worried about. Yeah. I like the ones over there on the top part where the railroad track is. Where where it goes over Grant, yeah, right yeah. by I ten. They got some great campfires in there. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a it's like a boy it's like a Boy Scout jamboree in there. You man. could take Grant after Costco and just <laughs> level the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I swear, there's no coming back from that. Oh, how we've missed you, <laughs> Art. That, that's an RTA next. <laughs> we're gonna take. We're gonna take everything. Uh, West of Costco. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not, it. You know, not, I mean, there's good businesses there that I like. I'm just saying, as far as the street, the neighborhoods, the, the <laughs> extracurriculars. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool, though. Any corner, you can get a free phone and some fentanyl and be on your way. <laughs> One stop shop. It's convenience. Except yeah. I can no longer go to my Circle K, my church's chicken, my Walgreens, <laughs> or my. 
Fries. Fries is still hanging in. Oh, it. Fries is hanging in. Yeah, they. they uh, did they close the fries? Nah, fries uh, fr- is gone. Uh, fries is gone. Walmart. Walmart's hanging yeah. in. Walmart yeah. thrives in that environment. So let me ask Matt a obvious question. Matt, um, with uh, fries closing at Grant and Alvernon, according to Tim Steller, whose fault is that? Probably. Uh, could it be fries? Yes. Attractive yeah. <laughs> nuisance. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Asking for it with their warm, clean store with food and drink <laughs> and a toilet. It's their problem that they keep getting ripped off. Thank you. Thank you very much. I remember being at Walgreens and the lady found out that her insurance was changing her to the generic of the prescription, not the primo name label. Yeah, because that matters. That was a nightmare. America is so hooked on their drugs right now, legal or otherwise. You know, we keep talking about fentanyl. That's that's nothing compared to the other side. The only time the generics don't work as well as the originals is if it's breakfast cereal. (laughs) (laughs) Well stated, sir. I don't want Apple O's. I want (laughs) Apple Jacks. But but if I can't get the name brand fentanyl, I'll take heroin. You know what I mean? It's fine. I think the first time I've ever had the generic cereal was when I was at NAU and you go to the go to the dining hall and they have oh, the little machine the, where you yeah. turn the little or or you that's right, you do the little uh little slot machine. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the arm down and stuff comes out. Oh, that's great. <laughs> good old college. They fed you guys up there though, right? Pretty good. What I've learned, uh, you know, with people that I, I, I know and love who are up there is don't eat NAU's food. Okay. Right? They're not here. All they want is their cut. Gotcha. Right. So when you when you don't go- they have hotel and restaurant management? They uh, do. They do. They okay. do. But in the end, it's who can afford our rent in the in the student union, and how much of a of a vig can we get off of <laughs> a vig <old> school, right. <laughs> off of the Chick Fil A or whoever else there is? Is it better than when you're in the service overseas or in jail? It looks better. It looks better. It's that's probably, all, that's it's probably a little better. Okay. So a couple of kind of food stories. And again, I just want to say, because you haven't been here in months, um, this is one of the strongest shrimp ring Christmas seasons I think I've ever Did experienced. Did you get bombarded? Oh. Dur- <laughs> between Thanksgiving and New Year's, I would say at least... Did you four pictures a week? Did you get my <laughs> Did you get my pictures from the uh, the food contest on Netflix where the guy's secret ingredient was a shrimp ring? Oh yeah, <laughs> and he literally like I think I I tried to pause it right where the uh, the closed captions look at the guy scratching his head going I have a shrimp ring. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll never forget that one time like on I was on Facebook when we're having a shrimp ring. This one guy's like I think they're pretty awesome, bro. What's all the hate for? Oh, terrible! It's a nickel back of seafood. Just calm yourself. <laughs> slow your roll. Wow. Slow your roll. Uh, it's like eating shrimp. It's like eating shrimp out of the Reed Park Lake, dude. A couple of food stories. So they announced the 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 demise of cappies, right? But as we say in Mighty Python and the Holy Grail, I'm not dead yet. All right. So now they're back. I'm back. Yeah. So they were selling, but now they said the they, sale fell through. The sale fell through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the place. And, I do too. And the poor guy's one of the few Mets fans in Tucson, so we and, have that. And they in serve really. I cold used beer. to be a Mets fan, and you know, again, once Willie Randolph managed my team, it was over. We don't allow Yankees. <laughs> that's fair. The that's Nets. fair. That Sorry, was, that was a weird little uh, time period. Then I had to get rid of the Islanders when they changed their uh, their uniform, looked like the Gorton Fisherman, and then I was done with those people too. Now, um, 
So wow. I used to, I used he's to, quick with it. Remind I, me not to date this guy. I, huh? I used to do a radio show. Uh, so Cappy's, <laughs> I used to, me and my brother used to go with my dad years ago. Yeah. For a pastrami sandwich and a beer. Yeah. That was one of the places. We spent many an afternoon there. My my grandpa really loved it. He lives lived uh, close, uh, so we would meet him there. He, you know, he's so funny, my grandpa. We would always eat. Every Tuesday, me and my dad would meet my grandpa, and if my aunt was in town, blah, blah, blah. We would meet my grandpa for lunch at Molina's Midway, which is his neighborhood, my grandpa's neighborhood, every Tuesday. But every once in a while, I'd be like, okay, I'm sick of that place. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Cappy's. Okay. Cool. So we'll meet him at Cappy's. He would walk in, sit down, and order a chimichanga. Yeah. <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't want to go to the Mexican place? Or you want to come here and eat a chimichanga? I don't get it. But You know, I think I think part of Cappy's coming on the radar was my dad always liked a nice, good neighborhood bar, right, kind of thing, like a mulligan's, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but at the same time, being New Yorkers who come from that deli right. uh, culture, always looking for a good corned beef slash right. pastrami yeah, always, sandwich. Always, always. And so that was also, Joe and I were always looking for good pizza, New York, you know, a good solid pizza over the years. But there was always that, it was always elusive that there was a solid, a consistent place that made a good pastrami sandwich. Right. I think that's why we, I think we really originally ended up at Cappy's because we were in the search for a, a good pastrami over. Makes sense because my dad, you know, New Yorker too, he was, he'd make, especially when I was like uh, food writing and everything, he would make me take him to every place. That had a pastrami sandwich until he found the perfect one. So we've we've done plenty of that too. But what? So in the end, right? What other places in Tucson? I mean, right now, so even pastrami now is tough, right? So Kent at the Sausage Shop does great, of course, yeah, yeah, right. But what other places right now? We I, I've had this discussion with Bruce. You know, we, we no good Jewish delis anymore. Uh, right? You know, I haven't tried the new one. That's been a Jewish deli of a different name on. The fifth and, fifth and Rosemont, Rosemont thing? Yeah. is that still that thing's a it, lot. So, I think I think they it's build a new themselves one now. Yeah. as a, uh, and I'm not endorsing the concept, <laughs> but they build themselves as a vegetarian deli, as well, <laughs> if I recall. I did so, not know that. Which, if I recall, I'll get it up on the screen here. Please don't. Hey, I want to. I want to eat later. <laughs> I don't want to see a vegetarian deli again. <laughs> I wasn't endorsing. I was just sharing. There's a market place for them. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a, a name of a vegetable and put the word strami at the end of it for the, you know, the kook. Pea strami? The, the pea strami. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful pea protein uh, slab that's uh, seasoned like pastrami. The pea strami. Beautiful. Tofu so, strami. Thank you. I mean, 1055 Brew. Uh, and again, I have a soft spot because. I love those guys. Nice guy. I think, and, and Christopher Squires, who's yeah. such a nice guy, is so close to Chris Squire from Yes. In relation to his name, that I'm always going to be. In relation to his name, yeah, you would yes. I still don't like it. Well, that's okay. You'll get there one day. You'll 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 mature. Okay, you'll get I hope there. So. I appreciate. So anyway, uh, after a rough, a tough few months working through ebbs and flows of owning a brewery, they officially announced that it's discontinuing all operations. All operate. Wow, their beer was great too. So um, I'm sad to see him go. Yeah, me too. I thought they they had a you good broke book. that news to me. I didn't. I, was on foodie yesterday. I don't know. I Just know. yesterday, I think, when I saw it. That's so a, it was- I saw it yesterday afternoon. So, And again, uh, Matt Sterner wrote this. Uh, what Squire say? Some time ago, it became clear that our new location was not going to work out. Uh, and he, I'd sad to say he used a, a Zach... 
Sorry, Zach, the answer line. Sorry, I fell asleep again. Pivoted and jumped back on the search, but shaky economic conditions and family health issues have made this search increasingly discouraging. Our goal has always been to brew world-class beer, create a welcoming environment for people to share it in. You know what? I like the term pivot. I say we take <laughs> basketball terms and put it into everyday conversations. So like, I was at the Walmart self-checkout and I had to box out. I like that. You know what I mean? Let, let's start. I you let's know start what? using basketball terms for everything. I need a few more power forwards out there, though. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, I got too many Yensers who's like the team manager. You know, or TB- I, I, like, I like Wild Bill calls him Scooter. TBD, <laughs> TBD can't play man-to-man, but they should work on their zone a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, could, we, could, we could do it all day. Let's, <laughs> let's start a trend. It's... Right, and if you have a hiccup in anything in your plan, it could be it, it's it could be the death knell of your business in this. It town. could lead to a turnover. Boom! <laughs> Look at you! <laughs> Look at you! Hopefully, um, they offensively rebound from this. Well, sir, glad to see you back. Indeed, glad to be back. I had fun. It went the hour went quick, really quick, like a fast break. Looks. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this guy. He's on it. He is Love totally him. on it. So, but anyway, it's good to see you uh, coming off the injured reserve list, as we say well, in, you, in, in the basketball world. And, yeah, uh, off the IR. <laughs> and uh, definitely not off yet. I just. All right, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, sir. The great C- The great C- 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 too. Friend of the show, U.S. Congressman Andy Biggs. Andy, welcome to the show. Chris, how are you? All right, so tell me about. Uh, let's talk about uh, the scenario of uh, you know government shutdown, debt limit ceiling. I think I know where you're at with this, but I, I would like to hear Andy's take on this uh, latest round yeah. of silliness. Well, so so in two different meetings this week, I asked them how much money they thought they needed and how long it would extend to the next debt ceiling uh, lift. <laughs> Blank looks. They, they have no idea. In fact, they literally said, we have no idea. <laughs> we, so we got, a, we got an outside opinion. The guy says, oh, it's really complex. It's really complicated. <laughs> and I said, well, how, how complicated can it be when we spend more than we bring in by about $100 billion a month? How about, how about we address that? So, so we've asked them to, to uh, claw back a lot of the money that they, that they just did in the 1.7 Omni, $1.7 trillion Omni, to claw back things like uh, you know, some of that um, COVID money that still has never been paid. There, there, there are COVID relief packages where they've only spent 10 cents on the dollar that they were given. Well, let's start getting that back. Correct. Um, how about... How about getting the, the some of the money back that we gave to Ukraine, which uh, they just had the, some Ukrainian officials kicked out of office for uh, uh, going on vacations, buying new cars, and buying mansions with the, with U.S. dollars? How, how about just stopping that? Did we, did, did, did we give any of those guys race. a tank? Did any of those guys get a tank to park at the mansion? <laughs> <laughs> We, we couldn't give them a tank because then we couldn't evict them from the mansion. Oh, that's just, <laughs> it, takes, it takes the tank yeah, to I the mean, golf course. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it isn't like it's a target-rich, not a target-rich environment. I mean, there is so much waste um, when you have a $6 trillion budget. I mean, and we need to maybe talk about going back to where we were uh, overall spending before the COVID uh, panic. So, I mean, there's just a whole lot of, uh, things that you could cut, you could freeze, you could rescind money, you can claw it back. I mean, um, 
but you you cannot continue to do this where you know because some people are saying well we just won the two year or one year well if, if that's the case then you've gone from 31 and a half trillion dollars to 33 or 34 trillion dollars that's that's what these people are talking about and to me that's just asinine so uh dave calls in 10 o'clock dc time yesterday right david schweigert and he said he was at a yeah. meeting i don't know if you were at the same meeting with him yesterday morning before 10 o'clock dc time but he says i'm in this meeting with people who say they're conservative republicans right and he starts talking about stuff like and you know david's going to always talk about the budget and social security mm. and they and they literally gave him the uh Dave, not now. Yeah, we're not doing that. That's, that's, so there's there's a group there's another group of us that are just like saying this is this is crazy. You have to have meaningful reforms. Uh, at least at least get the low hanging fruit. Can we do that for once? Can we just get the low hanging fruit? Claw back the money. How about you know? There's over eight hundred billion dollars in PPP fraud. Now we can't get that immediately. But how about we make that a priority to go back and get the eight hundred billion to trillion dollars in PPP fraud? How about that? Can, can we do that? Could, could that be one thing? Instead of eighty-seven thousand um, IRS agents to go after everyone else, can we hire an extra two thousand to go after PPP fraud? I can have that discussion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so you, well, we so we have to include that that that's eighty billion dollars. So that would take care of of one month's structural deficit. Yeah, getting rid of those 80,000, 87,000 IRS employees. That takes care of 80 billion. So, so you're, you're, you're to the good. You could kick, kick the can down one month, um, but you have to turn the whole thing around. So you need some structural reforms as well, because you have to, you have to basically start tear, tearing this, this, this town apart, because this is the town that, that believes, quite frankly, that you, they can just keep printing as much money as they want. And everything will be hunky dory, um, and and that's the fight. That's the fight that we're in. So you're part of a, a crew of Republicans that, as you've shown during the McCarthy election, you have you have leverage, right, in relation to a lot of different things. What's the what's the strategy going in with this debt limit? Is it something where you just you push it to the point where the I hate saying the government closes, which means of course eighty seven percent of it stays open, but. <laughs> Is, is, that, yeah, is, right, that, is right. that is that is that where you go? Well, uh, I mean, if that's where you need to go, but I don't think you're going to need to go there because um, McCarthy promised that he would he would give reforms, that he would get reforms, and that we could we could actually uh, leverage this. The, the problem will be here is the again will be like so many things in the Senate, but even even the the kind of uh, the more um, on the other end of the spectrum of our conference. They have admitted that they want to reduce the spending. So, okay. So, if you reduce the spending, uh, you know, is that enough of a trajectory to, to actually be meaningful? I don't know what the level that they're talking about is. Um, but look, I mean, for for a lot of our my colleagues, they're they're, they're war hawks, and and they they believe that you cannot t- touch defense spending at all. Well, here's the problem. Um, they just Pentagon just announced uh, two days ago that they had lost 221 billion dollars, and, and including an entire missile system. So, can you define can you define the word loss or or lose? I, I you mean uh, can't find? I don't know. Don't 
don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're laughing to keep from crying, but I'm, I'm telling you, 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 you have got, we have got to get a handle on this stuff and, and bring this to heel. And, um, and, the, and so I think that the vast majority of Republicans in the House are willing to do something. And I think if we do, then we can put enough pressure on McConnell in the Senate because McConnell has said uh, it's going to be up to the House what they do in the Senate. So that gives us a, another leverage point, uh, a tremendous leverage point. So uh, I'm hoping that my colleagues will not uh, dance around this thing. I'm hoping that they will unite and, and um, actually push through meaningful reforms uh, and, and where we can reduce the spending. I mean, uh, you know, I know David wants to get into big things, but uh, you, you can do all kinds of things to change the dr- direction and reduce spending now right. in the short term, which will which will turn uh, turn us toward where we need to go. It, it may not be the, the best thing in the world, but it'll turn us to where we go get on the path to to balance the budget in seven to ten years. As we right. say, I'm, as I'm, we say gonna, in uh, "What about Bob?" Baby steps, Doctor Marmon. Baby steps. Uh, let's yeah. let's and, get let's get Barney yeah. in real quick. He's got a call for Andy about uh, budget talk. Barney, what's your uh, what's your question for uh, Congressman Biggs? This would be a baby step. I've long hated omnibus bills, and I'm wondering about sending up a series of small targeted spending bills, perhaps starting with funding for the White House. Give Thank- them what they want to fund the White House. Make that a separate bill, and let's see them try to veto that or uh, or not bring it up. Barney, thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks, Barney. I mean, that's part of what, what one of the things that we've attacked is is uh, getting back to it. Now, there's supposed to be 12 bills; those aren't small bills, but we have all kinds of other uh, little bills as well. So uh, that would deal with some of this stuff. Um, uh, that would be a far more transparent way to do it. But what I've seen around here is uh, that they tend to to cram as much as they can one bill. Now, that was one of the deals we got is that you go single subject and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea to, to, to send up uh, the bills that are, that are targeting agencies, uh, line items, programs. I mean, that's, that's what I've said all along is you got to go back to line item budgeting. you got to go to zero-based budgeting. Sure. If you do that, you, you can bring it under control um, more quickly than – these these massive conglomerations they don't see what happens is is um by the way the congress is structured you guys change that too but the way congress is structured you can have you can have the same program with a different name different funding sources in in three or four different agencies um and i i have found those and i tried getting rid of one of them uh several years ago and uh, couldn't do it couldn't do it i couldn't even get it out of committee so um that's what we face here is this entrenched um basically um, happy-go-lucky people who are in a bubble, and we're trying to help them find reality, I guess is the way to put it. Thanks for for calling in, as always. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. U.S. Congressman Andrew Biggs. Uh, I was talking about an email that was sent to management by Dave Smith's wife, okay? She's the new head of the GOP. And basically what happened was... Uh, I originally, Shelly uh, was going to come on as part of her regular visit and we had to move it because of a date thing. But then she actually texted me Wednesday and said she couldn't come on the show because of a schedule conflict. 
Then she hit me with, hey, what about early next week before she goes on a vacation? And I said, no, I don't have time. And so she's not even scheduled to come on. But someone must have heard me promo it or mention it earlier in the week. So they send this letter. uh, Literally, this is from the chairman's wife, Betsy Smith. And she said there's an active financial investigation. And so then there's a lot of things, like accusations, right? And at the end, they they said, basically, I respectfully request you do not give a voice. This is the KVOI, the voice. Do not give a voice to the former chairman of the GOP so she can do additional damage to our grassroots efforts to unite and heal the Republican Party. So as I said earlier... I don't know if you guys know this, but Dave and Betsy's fingers were all broken in a horrible combine accident. I, I mean, I hope they get better. But if their fingers did work, they could possibly call me, email me. Everything's out there. You, I'm easy to find. Way easy to find. Right? But I don't get the email. They send it to management. And basically, they're starting off their reign as anti-First Amendment. Now, no one said you couldn't come. You couldn't call when Shelly was on the air. I take... I don't... The, the, the people who we don't take calls from are usually people that we consider loons, right? They're just people that have issues. But if you want to call up, you can call up. We don't, we don't, we don't filter calls around here. I'm also not like another jerk with a radio show who won't let people come into his show and confront him. He just wants you to call in if you have a problem, then he can hang up on you when he wants to. Okay? We don't do that here. Okay? Now, so they wanted, they wanted to kill the First Amendment, Right? By not letting her have a freedom of speech, and which sounds very leftist. I'm just telling you. I don't know if you've watched the last two and a half years of what's gone on in the world, but usually leftists are the ones that want to kill free speech in this country. So, and this guy has said that he's into unity. He wants to, he, I, someone sent me a video of him talking in December where he said, I'm really concerned that Republicans don't get along with Republicans. John Holden, Uber Republican, lives in Hicksboro now. Chairman Smith is concerned about GOP unity. He seems set on eliminating it completely. Thank you, John. Oh, he gets a ding for that. So I sent this email over to to um, to Shelley, and I said, "Hey, can you? Uh, we don't. I know you can't make it because you have a work thing or whatever you're doing. Let's uh, let's go through it. Let's go through each of their things." So Chris is going to promote freedom of speech here. And again, if, if these guys, if you want to have Shelly and Dave Smith want to come on together, let's have that discussion. I'm there. Um, let's see. Let's get to this first. Here we go. The letter was written. This is... A letter was written to management uh, at Bustos Media regarding having the former Pima County chairman on the radio show. The letter was written by Betsy Smith, the wife of... And also, I love that uh, Betsy refers to her own husband in the, in, the, in the email as Chairman Smith. You can just call him Dave. It's okay. I don't think he's having you... Hopefully, he's not having you call you da- da- Chairman Smith around the house. Um, she stated, I'm very concerned that you are giving former PCGOP Chairman Shelley Kais a voice tomorrow on Christy Simone's radio show. I had texted on Wednesday evenings to Shelley, uh, 759, apologize for not being on the show due to a client engagement. Um, however, I'm writing this response to these outrageous comments. The following statements made by Mrs. Smith and my responses. Statement by uh, Chairman Smith's wife. There is, this is my words, but that part. 
Statement of I'm gonna, this is this is this is Shelley. Statement of Betsy Smith. There's an active financial investigation involving Shelley Kais and some members of her previous executive committee that needs to be resolved first. Shelley, I'm not aware of an active financial investigation myself or members of the XCOM. Dave Smith canceled the audit, which is required in the bylaws and had been approved by the 2020 Pima County Executive Committee. And then she talks about the Article 7, Section 3 about independent review and audit. Okay. Uh, and it says the audit should be independent and an audit at every change in treasurer or county chairman, no less than frequently than two years immediately following a statutory meeting. Back to Shelley, uh, additionally, a financial investigation would require an audit or a financial review by a qua- qualified licensed audit professional. So what she's saying is it was approved by the executive committee and Dave canceled the audit. But Betsy's running around saying there's an active financial investigation. Okay. Statement by Betsy Smith. When Chairman Smith and his treasurer took over the P- GOP finances after Kais delayed their involvement for nearly a week, it was discovered that Kais had overdrawn the bank account by $400, leaving the newly elected administration with a negative balance. Shelley, I've attached the email letter that was sent to the bank on January 9th at 2.15 p.m., first business day following the election of Dave Smith on January 7th. After a discussion with the bank, we realized they were outstanding checks and wanted to wait and ensure that all checks cleared the bank. The checks of the Pima GOP were turned over to the treasurer at the meeting on the 7th. Neither I or the treasurer have any access to the fund, had any access to the funds in the account. However, the bank did have an authorization letter and, uh, and a letter indicated the treasurer and I had gone to the bank on January 6th to facilitate a transaction. Smith and Bart Pemberton, Bart, if you remember, he ran for Foothill, uh, Foothill School District, had access to the account effectively on January 9th and went to the bank sometime during that week to sign documentation and assume responsibility. The bank was overdrawn by $499. A donation check made to the Arizona Republican Party had been made for golden tickets. I recommended the Smiths they don't issue the check. That conversation took place on January 18th with Chair Smith and reiterated an email to Treasurer Pemberton by not issuing the check to the AZRP that would have left them with a balance of 4900 in the bank. Statement by Betsy Smith. Among other expenditures, Kais attempted to spend 20000 on an audit that had not been authorized by her own executive committee. The 2020 XCOM, ex- Executive Committee, authorized disbursement of funds of up to $25,000 for the purposes of an audit. Vote was in the Pima GOP monthly minutes. The 2020 XCOM also authorized a committee appointed by the chairman for the purposes of conducting an audit through a third party. The audit committee contacted five terms, firms, three declined, one no response, one accepted the engagement. The audit committee met with, accept, with the accepting firm along with Chairman Kais and moved forward on the audit for all funds dispersed January 1, 2021 through January 26, 2023. It was my responsibility to conduct an audit. All right. Uh, statement by Chairman Smith's wife, Betsy Smith. She also gave 25000 to a newly created PAC without XCOM approval and without the contract being confirmed as required by bylaws. Shelley's statement, the 2020 XCOM approved at the November 2022 meeting to use the proceeds from the Lincoln Day dinner of approximately $21,000 in unexpended funds of the third vice chair Caswell's voter registration program of approximately 3400 of the 3500 authorized to fund the initiative of ward-only voting. A group of Pima County businesses are working on the initiative, and the Tucson PAC is committed to the initiative. Political parties do not enter into contracts with PACs. They make donations, period. Uh, Let's, we got a couple more to go. I know this is boring, but it's got to get out there that 
the new people running the GOP basically did not want Shelly to be on the show. She wasn't going to be on the show anyway. She she canceled on Wednesday on me. So, uh, but again, if Shelly and Dave Smith, they both want to come on the air and have this discussion, I'm, I'm, I'm here for free speech, unlike, sad to say, Dave Smith and his wife.